welcome back to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast, a pop culture croissant. Oui, oui. What was that? C'est la vie. Paris. Au revoir. <laughs> Au revoir. <laughs> Adios. Adios. Welcome to We Bought a Mic. My name's Ernest. We're talking the new Wes Anderson. Hi, hello, a wee wee. I am the French Hunter, and uh, it goes by the name of a little movie called The French Dispatch. Get it? That's a reference to all those weird things you just heard out of our mouths. <laughs> They're like last night in Soho. What's the connection here? Yeah, this is a double episode. You're getting two reviews in one, folks. Drew is still out there recovering from hunter's massive wedding on arrakis destination wedding that was my fault instead of throwing a bouquet i threw a pile of sand it hit him right in the eyes balls he's losing his goddamn mind i speaking french might have gotten eaten by a sandworm and i i don't know i can't really say i feel like you would survive that like it's a massive cavernous Space, you think it's just right? like floating in the e- I don't know. You've read Dune. You fucking tell me what Nobody gets then. eaten that you follow their point of view. Why not? I, I mean, Timmy's got to go in there at some point. <laughs> Timmy, let's get up, go. Get up in them worm guts. Uh, we're not talking Dune today, folks. <laughs> Unfortunately for me. We're talking the French worm. The, um, yeah, the French uh, dis spice. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, let's have a little. The way we're beating around the bush makes this going to sound like people are going to think that we like hated the French Dispatch. I know, which I, is not. It's not. I the did case. not hate the French Dispatch. Um, but yeah, let's let's just reiterate this is a double review. So if you want to skip to last line in Soho, you may do so. There's going to be a separate spoiler discussion for that one. French Dispatch, not really too spoilery. I mean, this is the latest from Wes. Um, what this is like is. 10th movie at this point i feel like we're at 10 is it um, 10 here i have my, i have my letterbox list yeah my letterbox list wes rank derson that's really cool that's so clever how did you ever come up with something 10 like movies that? 10 movies one of which i still haven't seen i did a almost a full rewatch before this episode especially because we kept delaying mm-hmm. it because we just had so many scheduling conflicts and i was like one more movie one more movie didn't get a chance to watch Bottle Rocket. Okay. Yeah. Uh, still haven't seen it, but I pretty honest. much watch all of them. Oh, I also didn't get a chance to watch, uh, to rewatch Royal Tenenbaums. That oh, was Royal Tenenbaums yeah. is so good. I fucking love that movie yeah. so much. I'm, I'm still going to watch it just, you know, after this podcast, but pretty much all of them uh, got a chance to, to revisit. And yeah, his 10th movie, man. 10 fucking movies from Wes. Yeah. So... I know we I think it's safe to say that we both really, really love this movie. Um, it's I don't know. Phenomenal. Here's the thing. I don't know if it's one of my favorite Wes Anderson movies. And I think that's more so just a credit to how much I love this dude. Like how much you can I rank it any way you want. And the thing man. like I just kind of have I have my own list, which I will say have not seen Darjeeling. And I I have only seen parts of Moonrise Kingdom. So not including those. I have French Dispatch at four in my Wes Anderson ranking. In head of it, I only have Rushmore, 
Grand Budapest, Royal Tenenbaums. Oh. Those kind of fluctuate a little bit. Um, you're you're doing this right off the top of the pot. I am. No, no, no. Well, just I just wanted to throw this out there because I want to say like this movie is not one of my favorite Wes Anderson movies, but I still think this movie is like borderline perfect. And so That's I don't even know what West, to say man. about what this movie. Like I watched <laughs> so many of his movies this week and every single one of them, I'm like, damn, like I could see why you could put this at number one. Yeah. yeah. Like all of them, man. And you can't say that for many directors. You really can't where it's like, you can make an argument for anyone. Like, what what are some other directors you could do that with? Maybe Quentin? Quentin, maybe? Um, PTA. PTA, of course. Um, that, I mean, really, the it's, list people, is it's not long. Yeah. I think that you almost could with the next director that we're going to talk about. But You're right. I'd say that there's there's I think that there's like a clear bottom two, in my opinion, of Edgar Wright's. That would be like you say like Baby Driver is your favorite Edgar Wright movie. I'm like. All right. Well, All right. What really? What else? You? What else? It's, you it's interesting that we're pairing them because you can really divide their eras almost mm-hmm. the same. Yep. Early West, you know, you got Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, and then there's a shift, right? Then you get Life Aquatic, you get Fantastic Mr. Fox, you get Darjeeling, you know, and there seems to be a momentum that he's building of just like continuing to push what people think he's capable of because the thing with life aquatic is like that feels like a movie that is bursting at the seams yes it's the most anderson movie i think and when you get past that movie he seems to make the box bigger Mm -hmm. and bigger and bigger. That's a good way to say it. Yes. And yeah, you're 100% right. Grand Budapest is still my number one because I just feel like that one has everything you could possibly want. But French Dispatch is my number two. Wow. Because number two. Holy shit. Right, I, I can get it. Here's the thing. I can 100% see it. Because like it. it's it's un, it's unbelievable what he does in this movie, dude. Mm-hmm. Like the box keeps getting bigger. The canvas expands. You cannot tell this man that he can't do something on screen. He will find a way to do it. The things you see in this movie, this movie doesn't have the best, like maybe character arcs Mm -hmm. of any of his movies. But in terms of like what you're seeing on screen and what, what he's accomplishing with like set design and camera movement like my mind was blown yeah no i was fucking just so blown away by this movie i this is like just one of like the most and i think that wes anderson i feel like with grand budapest he kind of moved past it a little bit about people just saying like Using the word quirky, because quirky, it has a little bit of a negative connotation. It's beyond that at this point. It really is. It's just like, it's so, he has this kind of, and this movie does the best job of it, I think, or the most pronounced version of it since um, Life Aquatic, but like this dollhouse quality where you just like, the room is opening up and you just like, 
can't like I wanted to like be in the theater and like just like pause the movie for a second just so I could see like every little intricate detail that was just happening on the edges. Gotta of the rewatch screen. this. Yeah, and that's the thing. Every Wes Anderson movie is so fucking rewatchable yeah. because of this ability. Because I think that a thing about Wes and some people knock him for this, and this is actually something I really like about him is that his movies don't necessarily have a ton of pathos necessarily they aren't uh what i would call like the most emotionally resonant or emotionally sound films that you'll ever see but they have so much heart to them they have so much like they still have like you can tell they were directed by a person with a soul right and that's just (laughs) that sounds like such a simple idea but that's not really what's reflected in 99 percent of movies is the amount of heart that is in each one of the characters that he crafts is just incredible. It's the best. And he's, he's able to get to that in many different ways because like I said, I'm, I'm doing this rewatch and like, there are some movies where I see people like goo goo gaga over them, like fantastic Mr. Fox. Like people love this movie. You mm. go on letterbox, like people adore this movie. And right now I have it down to number seven. It's just like, it's still an incredible movie to me, but like for me personally, it doesn't resonate as much as it does for other people. That's the thing is like that heart, it doesn't manifest itself the same in every movie. Mm -hmm. He finds a different way every time. And in this one, in French Dispatch, it's so unexpected because you don't get that until like pretty much the very, very end of the movie. You go through all these little stories, all these little like vignettes, essentially, and you don't get enough time with these characters to like really get that yeah. before you're kind of moving on to the next thing. But even then, at the very end, he still gets that yeah. with the Jeffrey Wright bit. Like, man, he just still sneaks it in. And that's why I love this movie, because like it still surprised me. At first, I was like, okay, this is going to be the one that's all style, no substance. That's how it starts. That's 100% how it starts. But even with the Benicio Del Toro, Leia Sadu bit, there's still some. Oh, no, I meant like the whole like preamble, like how the movie actually like the first like 10 minutes of this movie. It's like, is there a plot to this? What's happening here? Yeah. The framing device is this like magazine. Yeah. It's 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 an episode of the New Yorker or uh, issue of the New Yorker. Yeah. And Bill Murray's like the lead editor and he is essentially uh, sending off his life in this final issue. Mm. It's, it's this full encapsulation of his life's work, but not really. It's also like this full encapsulation of like everything that Wes Anderson is interested in doing in mm-hmm. one movie. He's just like packing like all of these weird things into one movie. There's even like an animated sequence at one point. So it's like, yeah, you get this idea of like, okay, Bill Murray's this editor man who's like putting together this magazine. But it's also like it's Wes Anderson just being like, let's do a bunch of cool shit. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, it's I, you know, it's kind of a thing. And I don't know if you if you get this or if the listeners understand this, but this kind of reminded me the show reminded me a lot of um, an HBO series that we both have uh, talked about about how we love with just its ability to 
make you care about characters and about storylines in a very, very short amount of time. High maintenance. High maintenance. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what I was thinking. And it kind of like it hit me like midway through the Timothy Chalamet thing. That was like, oh, we're like getting like an extended version of like if every episode of high maintenance was like 30 minutes. It was like just a collection of short films where you just are dropped into this world and I did spend like the first I really want to see this again just because I spent like the first watch through trying to like figure out the interconnected themes between these stories and like trying to figure out like what is Wes trying to get at Mm -hmm. here. But even if you just view these as three separate uh, three some completely just short stories that were just put together, it still really works really well. Well, okay, I'm glad you you said that because very early on in this movie, I told myself, viewing number one, don't worry about all that. You'll get that viewing number two and number three. Because there is so much packed in here. Mm-hmm. You and can't think about it. You can't go back and think about other things because Wes has already moved on to the next yeah. thing. The, the, the Benicio one is all about art and, and our relationship to like what we think <sighs> is artistic and how the things in our life inform art you know when you are an artist and like how you channel your life into your art the timmy one is like about communism and like the labor movement yeah it's about the the french yeah the french teenage driven revolution of the 60s i believe it's like full like individualism expressionism but also like this decentralization of control over a society Mm -hmm. um and then the final one is kind of about like the 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 jeffrey white one like it kind of like floored me a little bit because i didn't realize what it was about until the very end because there's like there's like criminal conspiracy and like betrayal and poisonings and all of this so it's Mm -hmm. like you're getting into the weeds of like this, you know, criminal conspiracy kind of shit. But then at the end, you realize that it's like about the quest for perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And how it's like this empty, futile quest to like, and it's so meta because that's what this movie is. Yeah. It's Wes Anderson trying to like, chase this thing that's like he's never gonna catch and i so minor spoilers for this movie which it's kind of hard to spoil this movie i (laughs) but the thing about this that specific and there's something that makes each of these special but that one that's like really profound to me is just the way that they talk about the way that jeffrey wright how his character talks about food because that was the first assignment that he was ever given from Bill Murray. And just like that whole idea of like the first thing like that you ever got assigned, like how that, that informs you for, especially like as a journalist, like that informs you for the rest of your life, that first job that you had, even if you're writing about something that's completely unrelated to that, you still like, this is your safety net that you can fall back onto. And it's not even anything that's directly explicit in that story or anything like that but it's kind of just plays off this whole thing of like your first and like what is your safety net that you can just kind of fall back to while you're exploring this great unknown well it's but it's the meta-ness too because it's also Wes saying that like he created his own path like he, yeah. the boundaries that the industry <laughs> has placed on him exists because of himself yeah 
because of what he told himself he was going to do as a filmmaker. And he was always like living up to that idea that the public put on him because of that original work that he introduced himself with, because that's this whole thing with like Hollywood auteurs. It's like they always look at your first thing. You know, we always talk about like, okay, Damien Chazelle, Christopher Nolan, like they're first. Right. And obviously like it's never exactly clear cut here because Bottle Rocket was his first, not Rushmore. Everybody right. always points Everybody to Rushmore. Points because Rushmore is the first one that feels like, oh, this is Wes Anderson. Bottle Rocket has the, it has the plot themes of a Wes Anderson movie, but he hadn't like, like taken that next step of like, I'm going to direct this movie to the point where it feels like it's being directed, which is something, by the way, uh, film school kids who are listening to this podcast don't try and do Wes Anderson because you can't. There's a reason why this man is He's a, a one god. Of one. Like he is a one of one. I've seen uh, or like I can't imagine. Thank God I have not seen as many as I have. But like I'm sure that you have going through film school of people who have tried to do like oh, a yeah. Wes Anderson thing, and it's just I. It has to just be the worst shit. <laughs> like, on on YouTube though, there are some guys that like get real close and it's really impressive but i mean he is somebody him and the person who we'll talk about next edgar wright like they have a true style and that's something that like i think that i'm receiving both these movies even more warm i think i mean i love both these movies either way because they're directed by two of my favorite people but like i'm receiving them more warmly than I even normally would because for the last two years I've seen a lot of just like trash and a lot of not even necessarily trash but a lot of gray a notch down well and just a lot of stuff that's just like oh I really like that who made that like where it's just like it's something where it's like I or Anybody even if could've. I do like it yeah it just it doesn't feel you don't feel the creative voice behind it even if it's something that isn't necessarily good or bad it's something that doesn't have a voice i love when i watch a wes anderson movie there's not a question about who fucking directed this movie and i love that and some people might not like that some people kind of want the director to be stay behind the camera and you not feel their presence in front of the camera and to them, like, I, I don't really have a point to you. Like, I'm sorry, Wes Anderson just ain't your guy. Yeah. But for me, I love that shit. It's it's tough because, like, before I rewatched all his movies, I kind of was maybe a little bit more sympathetic to that take of like, yeah, you know, if it's not for you, it's not for you. It, it's fine. But now after watching all his movies again, I'm just like, why? How? <laughs> why don't you like this? This is the like, best. Like, isn't this what you want from movies? Like, this is a guy who's like doing everything he possibly can within this medium. Like he is using every fucking tool in the toolbox. Music, sound, acting, writing, camera, uh, lighting, set design, like literally everything. He is putting it all in there. Everything you could possibly do to create an audio visual experience. It's it's mind blowing. There are moments where like the set breaks apart Mm -hmm. and you are in a different set seamlessly. There's moments where the camera is gliding around. There's moments um, where the the cast, the, the people on screen are just frozen like a beautiful painting. Yeah. In in this pose that just 
conveys like some kind of deep emotion, like rage or longing or uh, insanity. The 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 bit with the um in the prison with Benicio. Yeah, there are some incredible images in that whole sequence. And then just the idea of like this prisoner who takes his entire life in prison to paint this one work that gets such a claim. That's already a movie, right? No, there. that's the whole. That was my biggest thing where I was like, can I just see a two hour version of this story? Like, I just would love this. That's that's the one knock I would give on the movie. I Is think that you want more time in each exactly, of these worlds. Yeah. yeah. No, like, I, I completely I completely I couldn't get there. enough. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that one, if I had to pick one, I think that one would be my favorite. Uh, yeah. Just because like. I think that that connection between him and the the guard, Leah Sadu's character, it is kind of the most emotional connection I had to anybody in the movie. Mm-hmm. I really bought it. I really cared for both of them deeply. And they just they nailed it. Like the the beautiful mm. black and white photography on that whole thing. The idea of like him uh, painting directly on the walls of the prison it's so genius i love it so much i love that so so much i think that is my favorite as well although i have pieces of each of them that are my favorite is the thing like it's hard to really pick one out because the as i'm we're talking about this one this becomes my favorite we talk about like the jeffrey wright one the more we talk about that that one kind of becomes my favorite the more we talk about the timmy one that kind of becomes my favorite like they do kind of bounce around a little bit here i Love this one, especially because, I, as we said, like this could just be its own full story. We got to talk just sidebar here. We got to talk about the cast because I think that's where Dude, this movie. The balls. Everybody. Literally put Elizabeth Moss and Christoph Waltz <laughs> in, in one scene in in literally one line roles. That's just. That's how you know Wes Anderson is a god is because he's just like, hey, uh, <laughs> hey, do you want to just um, you just like come and just like be on set for like two hours one day and just like be part of this movie? Like, oh, yeah. They Angelica Hudson, you want to just like come in, just like narrate this movie for me? It's he just gets everybody wants to fucking work with this guy. Um, In case you uh, live under a rock and you don't know the cast, let me just uh, <clears throat> name through a few. Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Leah Sadu, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, Jeffrey Wright, uh, Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Henry Winkler. Henry uh, Winkler's great. <laughs> Winkler, Christoph Waltz, Cecil de France. Uh, God damn it. There's just, I can't can we, even can read. Leave Schreiber. Adrian Brody. Willem Dafoe. <laughs> Willem Dafoe doesn't even have any dialogue in this movie. I'm Saoirse sure. Ronan, Ed Norton. Saoirse Ronan also has like one fucking line in this movie. Um, you said Adrian Brody. We need, about, we need to talk about Adrian he's Brody. so good. So I... God damn it. I fucking love Adrian Brody. He is in the newest or not the newest, but the last week's episode of Succession. And the Internet is flaming up. Are we ready for an Adrian Brody comeback? Because I've been wanting it for years. I mean, he was amazing in fucking Grand Budapest Hotel, too. He was amazing in Darjeeling Limited. Like Wes has always known exactly how to use Adrian Brody. And in this movie, he plays this like 
I guess like art collector. And he has a very similar energy to what he had in Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm. You know, this kind of like very animated, like heightened kind of kind of angry and agitated kind of guy. And Wes just knows how to use him perfectly. Just the right energy, ridiculous, crazy, but still like grounded enough that he's not just like this caricature. It's it's so pitch perfect. It's so good. It's it's so good. I really because I didn't really know anything about Leah Sadu. Uh, before seeing this film, like I know that um, she, you mentioned that she was Inspector. I know she's in The Lobster, but I don't really like. I couldn't pick her out. I don't remember from The Lobster. She's in like Blue is the Warmest Color, which I've never seen. But she's a she's, star, dude. She's so good. Like in a role that's a completely non English speaking part for the most part. Like there's some subtitled stuff, but it's mostly just in her face and the way that she and Benicio play off of each other is so good the way that those characters are introduced with each other like perfect it's you just see her getting painted and then she puts back on a soldier outfit here <laughs> on like a the guard guard prison guard. Out, prison guard outfit and it's like such a thing where it's you're like wondering what's going on because you're like watching the theater it's kind of a little bit of like a ah, this is like kind of weird just like he's like coming up with her with the paintbrush and everything else like that it's and how the story plays out is just so so good yeah, well, I, love I that think one. I think we've seen a lot of iterations of this kind of dynamic of like the tortured artist and the muse. Yeah. And she's just posing naked for him while he like deliberates over his very important work. But Wes somehow finds a different way in. Like, that's mm-hmm. kind of what we were saying earlier, how like with the emotion, with the heart, he finds a way in with this like trope of this. Wes loves prisons. He has prisons prisons. in like every fucking movie. He he saw Paddington too. He's like, shit, why didn't I do that? They stole my shit. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, he he always has to fit in a prison somehow. So, you know, in this movie, like it manifests itself in in this dynamic between uh, Benicio and and Leia Sadu. And again, we've seen this dynamic before, but because of her performance, I think it rings different and i i love benicio he's perfect too but leia is the one who brings a little bit of a different flavor to it where you see this woman who is like she's not i think it in in lesser hands she would be this version of this character who's like hopelessly in love with this artist and has like given her herself over her control is gone because he's such a good artist Mm -hmm. and because the man is a good artist the woman can't help but like be this like sexual uh puzzle piece for his story essentially yeah that's not what's happening in this movie she's a fully like realized individual person who has her own needs and wants and and an idea of like who she wants to be in her life and you get so much of that with Mm -hmm. like very minimal dialogue yeah no that's this is definitely like the top direction of the 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 three just because it's the three yeah it's direction and acting it's twofold because it's not really so much the most written episode or um piece of this like trilogy of stories that we're getting here but it's just it's so well done just those little spurts getting that moment with the two of them laying down together like yes, i love you that's stop what i'm talking about stop <laughs> <laughs> like she's using him 
you know, and she's it's, not dumb about it. Like yeah. she knows exactly what's going on. And like, even in the end, it ends up really, you know, being about him and like his artwork, especially when you're cutting back and forth with the whole Tilda Swinton uh, framing device. Mm-hmm. That's such a weird thing that happens in this movie. It's like, it's almost like a Russian nesting doll where you have like a story. Yeah. Like a story you forget story. that they're, Oh, like, Oh yeah. These are reporters who are doing this story. Yeah. I, I do like, <laughs> Because also we should say, like every Wes Anderson movie, this is still like a comedy. Like there is still lots of humor in this. So much. Um, including like some like darker humor than what Wes normally goes for. And like there's some like a little bit of dark humor and stuff, but there's like some really dark fucking humor in this movie. Like uh, with uh, like Tilda Swinton like steps down like from while she's giving like this TED talk thing. And she's like, oh, by the way, he is actually crazy. Like he did try to rape me before <laughs> this but then she's just like anyways moving on she's so good (laughs) she's so good her teeth are incredible the fucking veneers that she's wearing in this movie she pops up in so many of wes's movies and she's always like perfectly calibrated this is another like he's just one that he gets a cat there was like a a screenshot on like twitter and reddit went around of like the web of actors who are just in like every wes anderson movie (laughs) I am interested in the ones that are only in one. Yeah. Those are those are the ones that get my Like George, eye. what happened? Didn't gel? Clooney? Clooney? Oh, with uh with Fantastic. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. That's one for sure. The other one I was thinking of though is because I just watched this the other night, Moonrise Kingdom. You get Bruce Willis in that. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so he always can't really imagine Bruce Willis in the French Dispatch, though. To be honest, no way, no way. But what if he gets like, what if he does one movie that has like everyone in it, like literally everyone, and then he does <laughs> another his, one. He does his own Endgame of just Wes Anderson <laughs> characters. I was gonna has say, Ralph Fiennes been in multiple? No, I think just Budapest. God, he's fucking perfect in Budapest. Dude, I'm telling you, that's a fucking perfect movie. Ugh. It's so good. Um, but in um Oh, I just had it pulled up. Oh yeah, in Tenenbaums, uh Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh I, yeah. I think she's not Gwyneth in- Paltrow is perfect in that movie. Gwyneth Paltrow would fit into other Wes Anderson movies. For sure. Probably too busy selling goop. Yeah. Um They they should have um a movie where it's all the one off Wes performers that come back for for one movie so it's like that would be the infinity war okay and <laughs> and game is just like the, on your is, left is like owen wilson comes bill, riding in bill murray, <laughs> bill murray. <laughs> oh jesus christ um it's this- bill murray in the submarine <laughs> Yeah, he just comes <laughs> popping out of the ocean next to them. She was my Rushmore. Um, I do want to talk about the other uh, stories that they have in here. Um, speaking of dark humor, just the whole idea of Francis McDormand fucking teenage Timothy Chalamet. Jeez. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, it's something that's like a lot of things in this movie are very much just like, yeah, I can see how like a lot like if just any other dude did this then people would be like fuck that guy but like because it's a Wes Anderson and it's so tongue in cheek everything that he does that you're kind of just like yeah he's not like trying to make like some kind of a fucking statement over here calm down guys um yeah but it's still delivered it's not like 
it's not a romp. Yeah. You no, know? it's not a romp. And this is the the second one is the one that I've seen people have the most issues with online because it doesn't really say anything against the whole idea of like portraying a woman journalist and then having to sleep with a subject to like get the story or something like that. You know, that's but not training a journalist. Francis this isn't, this isn't reality that we're living in guys is the thing. <laughs> Francis McDormand's character is not some like saintly, like goddess of truth. <laughs> Like she's that's, sleazy. Yeah, that's the whole thing is like I don't view well this movie doesn't take place in reality. And you know what? That's okay, guys. That's okay. We don't have to have it, this. it does have some things on its mind though. Like it yeah. is it does it is about journalism to a certain extent. I mean, it's also about like art, you know, and like I said yes, earlier, it was yeah. about like, you know, perfectionism and like meticulousness, which is what Wes Anderson's all about. But like when it is about um when it is about uh, journalism, uh, especially during that middle bit, it is it is like a critique of it, mm-hmm. you know, like it's this movie is not trying to say that, like the free press and like socialism and all these things are like this flawless beacon. It, it's 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 trying to kind of look at both sides a little bit, like when it shows Timmy the the revolutionary. Yeah. It's not trying to deify him. It's, it's not deifying it's, him. It's, it's also not showing he's holy. Ba- yeah, no, it's it's satirizing both sides at the same yeah. time, which is kind of it's a genius that Wes Anderson does in a lot of his films is that the whole thing where he's just like kind of this is all this is stupid. Like everybody like we need to all like calm down a notch exactly. here. And he's really, really good at doing that about how he brings in the journalist to like proofread his fucking his is a uh, um what does he call it like his his um uh, his speech that he's gonna give to everyone. Uh, his, manifesto, manifesto, his manifesto his yeah, manifesto yeah, yeah. <laughs> like well we gotta <laughs> clean up these typos and uh i love timmy here i think it's a great change of pace from uh paul atreides um yeah. it just shows you that you know the, the guy's got talent you know like i've been i've been i've been flying the timmy flag since lady bird and everybody was like oh Oh, your your beautiful boys up in here, and your uh, what what was the other thing he did? Um, he kind of did the Oscar bait before uh, he reached the point of movie stardom, uh, which is like the opposite of what usually what he you did. Want the to King, do. which people didn't like. Yeah, there was he, was uh, he also there, there was a Woody Allen movie in there somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know. Oh, call me by your name. Call me by yeah. Call me by your name is the big one. Um, you you were definitely lower on call me by your name. Uh, yeah. I how much how much do you think about call me by your name? Like on a daily basis, he was phenomenal. He's really movie. good in it. Hey, look, you know what? I just I saw that movie. I was like, one half of the leads of this movie are definitely like into eating people. All right. So um, wait. Also, no, no, did hold, on, shout hold out. on. Hold on. I need thirty seconds on Wonka. <laughs> Timmy is one. Listen, we're going to do <laughs> is three hours long enough of an episode for Wonka. Or should we carve out like a good four, four and a half for the Wonka episode? Jesus Christ. Should we compare? Let's do a showdown between the three Wonka films. Isn't isn't Timmy like ideal if they're going to do a, a new Wonka? No, here's no. the thing. Absolutely not. 
I mean, who else could you put in there? Literally no one. You don't make it. You take that movie and you set it on fire is what you do. You never let that movie see the light of day. Remember what happened the last time that we got a Wonka origin story? Is we learned about how Willy Wonka's dad was a dentist yeah. in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> Do you remember that? Was that a fun time? Did you enjoy that I think story? I did. I think I did enjoy it a little bit. Yeah. I think I was like, huh, interesting. I saw that movie in the Christopher theaters. Christopher Lee. And I was like, this is bad. <laughs> like, I was like, this is really bad. And I've never seen yeah, it since I was then. like, uh, six out of it's ten. It's like, I don't know. Man. It just got Tim Burton's a fucking hack. Six and a half um, out of ten. Sure. Um, another unknown actress that I had never seen before in anything is Lena Kudri. I believe I'm pronouncing that. I'm probably butchering that. But the Algerian actress who plays opposite of Timmy Chalamet. Mm, she was great. Never seen this woman before in my life. Yeah. Great energy. The genius thing about Wes is that he can get like all these like all star casting. He's like, I'm just going to throw a couple people you've never yeah. seen in your life. Tony they're, Revolori. They're going to go on the same fucking level as these A-list. And now she's going to be a big star. I'm sure. I really hope so. I, I mean, Tony Revolori's in fucking Spider-Man now. Like... You're right. Yeah, shit. Like yeah. <laughs> just blowing up. No, I uh I really like this one. I would probably say this was probably my least favorite of the three, I think. Yeah. I mean it's it's it not still by has much. its highs. I, I would it's, agree. I mean the I mean they're is, all kind of roughly around each other, but the I, thing is is that like the Benicia one just has this like incredible through line that never drops and the the final one, the the Jeffrey Wright one, just has like this gut punch that yeah, just I think, like and resonates. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wright gave my single favorite performance out He's of the entire of uh, the entire um, film. Jeffrey Wright had the single performance. I think it's because he's like wholly a focal point of the entire thing. Where like you know Tilda Swinton, like she introduces it and then she interspersely like comes in there. And same thing for. Um, Francis McDormand plays a little bit bigger of a role, but not much. Jeffrey Wright is like there the whole time and he provides so much of an emotional through line that I just, I really fucking He's love that. He's really talented, man. He's so good, man. He's the best. I love him. How um, dare Westworld. I guess the, um, the only other one we haven't talked about is Owen Wilson riding a bike. <laughs> hey, we really love like it. <laughs> it's great. I should have to, no, that was the point where because that's at the very beginning. You get the little introduction. You get Owen Wilson riding a bike, and I'm like, "What's happening, man? And I, am I ready for this movie right it now? Looks like I, it looks gorgeous. No, that's the thing is that it all looks incredible. That's, See, I'm I'm already in the bag for that shit. Yeah. But like I was saying this earlier, like I could. I get the criticism of like when you see that kind of stuff, it's just not your thing mm -hmm. because again, the whole style over substance thing. But it's like to me when I'm sitting in the movie theater and I'm seeing this shit on the big screen and like I'm, I'm there, baby, mm -hmm. like this is what it's all about. I don't care about the bullshit. I don't care about like, oh, well, it's just like. He's just this quirky guy that just likes to have everything symmetrical. And it's like, dude, I I put on um, Moonrise Kingdom the other day and I went into it with that thinking because that's what I was thinking when that movie came out when I was 18. And I was like, this fucking guy with his fucking typewriters and his stationery and his fucking binoculars. And then you watch the movie. 
and it's like, come on, man. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Come on. Because that's the thing. It's not style over substance. It's style that feeds into substance, which is there's a huge, huge, huge distinction between those two things. There's plenty of directors and filmmakers and just people out there that make stuff that looks beautiful, but it doesn't actually add into anything. Everything but that he does. This is the most beautiful. It, it's the most beautiful and everything he does is purposeful. It's not beauty for the sake of just beauty. Every single detail, whether it's a music drop, whether it's a framing device, everything he does is purposeful. Yeah. And that purpose feeds through in each of his films. And that's why he's one of the greatest filmmakers that we have alive. He takes it so much further than he needs to. That's the thing. And that's what I think is genius about this movie is that like he is doing things that like you don't you don't have to you don't have to go this hard, Wes. Like it's okay. But he does it because he it's like a challenge to him. Yeah, I, I can feel it. I'm, he's like, how hard can I make this? <laughs> like, how meticulous can I make this? Because like y- you watch his two stop motion movies, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs. And both of those movies, it's like obviously he controlled every single aspect of that. And he could put on screen exactly to the T what he wanted because everything was created from scratch in front of the camera in the live action stuff. When you get to this point, when you get to this newest movie, it's like, to me, it almost feels like he's trying to do that with like real, with real people. people. Yeah. No, he's doing the thing. Cause you know how we always say, like we talked about this when we talked about like avatar, the last airbender and other kind of, animated things that have tried to go live action failed miserably because the reason why is that you can just do things with animation that you can't do with real people wes anderson is trying to actively disprove that that's not the case but he still puts an animated sequence in this movie yeah he still does it because he's well one he respects animation you absolutely it's not stop motion it's just regular um but he makes cartoons out of real people in a way that is not corny and is not uh, it's not disingenuous. Like it feels. It natu- doesn't take. It doesn't take you out of it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And also that animated sequence, like I kept thinking about that because, like, it's a great sequence. It reminds me you of like the art style of the New Yorker a little bit, mm-hmm. like the cartoons. Oh yeah. A little no, bit. It was, yeah. You know, so you get that so vibe coming in, but also it's like it's like a car chase, right? It's like <laughs> so action packed. Cool. So it's like you almost think like, huh. If this was live action, it wouldn't be exact. It would be a whole nother type of thing because there's so much movement. And because you think Wes originally asked for like an extra 20 mil to shoot this scene (laughs) and they were like, no, we're good. Focus was like, stop it. Stop it. Cut it out. No more. You think it was out of necessity? (laughs) No, I I think I mean, you know, obviously the dude loves animation. And like, I think that he just originally was like, I want this to be zany. I want there to be like a fucking like six, six bodybuilder who has to jump a strong man who has to jump on the car that you later see in the next scene. Live action. I was like, good. Fuck. He's God, man. I fucking love this dude. I love Wes Anderson so much. All right, before we move on, I want to do a full uh, power ranking. Okay. Keep in mind, I have not seen Darjeeling, and I did not feel comfortable putting Moonrise on the list because I might have seen the whole thing, but it's been it's been a long time since I've seen it. So, 
All right. So you want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. All right. So like I said earlier, my number one is Grand Budapest Hotel. Perfect movie. Love it. Love it. Love it. Then I have French Dispatch. I'm riding a high. I know I'm going to see it again and again, and I'm just going to get so much more out of it. Mm -hmm. And you're like planning for the future. Just like putting it to now, just because you know. Exactly. And I just feel so much connective tissue to Grand Budapest here. Like this, this new gear for Wes is just like so, so up my alley. Number three, I have Rushmore. Um, I rewatched this movie and it, hit me dude like it is so fucking yep. well done dude jason schwartzman bill murray like my god all of the acting character moments all the beats are perfect four i put royal bombs, which i didn't get a chance to revisit but i just you know i hold it in a high regard from when i saw it all those years ago probably like maybe 10 years ago at this point mm-hmm you know, like back in the college days, I guess like maybe yeah. eight years ago or something like that. Um, uh, Darjeeling uh, is five just because I'm very partial to that movie. I talked wow, about that's, it. That's really high for Darjeeling. Yeah. And just in what I know about the Wes Anderson verse. It's the less Wes-y movie, I think, of all of them. But I kind of love it for that because he was just trying to. It's still in his wheelhouse, but he was trying to do something kind of outside mm. of what people expected. Six Eye of Life Aquatic. Uh, this is where it starts to get like ugly because it's like I fucking love Life Aquatic and I have it at six. Hey, buddy, I, I feel you. <laughs> like, I understand. It's, yeah. it's like a it's like a masterpiece and I have to put it down at six. Like that's it's uh, it gets so it's like painful. Nose it's his it's, it's king. A, it's an it's an. It's an exercise in futility is what this is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then seven, I have Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, Eight, Isle of Dogs. Nine, Moonrise Kingdom, which I watched the other day and I loved it. Uh, But I just, you know, it's got to go somewhere. Yeah. And then 10, I put uh, Bottle Rocket. Um. We have some we have some similarities in our list. Um, I will say number one overall, I have Rushmore. Um, Rushmore was the first Wes Anderson movie I ever saw and like it I remember I saw it in high school and I was like oh this is like different like this is like a different type of movie than I had seen before because it's so different from even like any like kind of John Hughes type movie anything even going into like the 90s coming of age movies it's just so different from anything else and I think that I had just even watched like more like Mean Girls, uh, John Tucker Must Die kind of era high school movies is my introduction. Yeah, it's a game changer. And it's it's absolutely a game changer of like this kind of nihilistic, uh, just this little shithead teenager who's in here. It's I fucking love that movie. I haven't revisited it in a couple of years, but God damn, is that movie just every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, this is like the best. I fucking I always movie. forget the third act is like an apocalypse now riff. <laughs> Like I watched it the other day, I was like, I forgot. It's so good. It's so fucking good. Best play ever, man. Dude, Jason Schwartzman is dude. Bill Murray, man. Jason Uh. Schwartzman is a sociopath in this movie. No, no, yeah, no, he's yeah, no, he's an insane person. Like he needs to be locked away. Um, number two, I have Grand Budapest. Honestly, I mean, flip flop these top three, really, in my opinion. And that's I can't really argue with you. Like Grand Budapest is a 
technically just one of the most perfect films I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I remember it came out in 2014 in that year. That is just a fucking astounding year for film um, that I vividly remember us watching the Oscars that year. And it was just like, I, I love everything that's happening here. Hell yeah. And then Birdman won. Um, number three, I have Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, this was kind of before French Dispatch. I think my favorite ensemble. It's still actually, I think, is my favorite ensemble in any movie. Just hey, Gene Hackman's family. another one off. God, Gene Hackman. So again, just perfectly fits right in with the the West universe. Love that movie. Ben Stiller is so good in this movie too. And Gwyneth Paltrow, Luke Wilson. Is he another one off too? I think Ben Stiller is a one off. I can't yeah. remember if he's in another one. Um, right now I have French Dispatch at four, putting it right in the middle because it has room to grow, um, which I'm sure that will uh, upon rewatch. Uh, number five, I have Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I just saw for the first time a couple years ago. Whenever I got my wisdom teeth taken out, I was high as fuck on Percocets. Nice. And this is Gaia's favorite Wes Anderson movie. A yeah. lot, um, lot of people, yeah. And I watched, and I was like, this is the most beautiful film that I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, I've since seen it not high as fuck. So I, this isn't just uh, um, stoned brain talking, but a different type of Soylent. But no, I, I really love this movie. I love that it's just based on a Roald Dahl uh, book that's just a short story for kids and then he's just like, yeah. I'm going to make a story about capitalism. <laughs> Co-written by Noah Baumbach. Yeah, Noah Baumbach film. I mm, love it. He's also, I mean, we should also say Wes Anderson's writing career kind of extends beyond his directing film. He's had little, like, he's worked with a shit ton of people who are also we just love including Noah Bombay. Oh, hey, Meryl Streep is also in this movie. I forgot about Oh, yeah. It's, she's a one-off, right? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, six, I have Life Aquatic. Feel the same way as you. It feels wrong to have it at six in the bottom half of Wes Anderson's it's so career. so good. This movie is like <laughs> the most visually stunning shit. It it's turns also, into like a crime movie. <laughs> you described it really well when you said that it's bursting at the seams and the box had to get bigger from there because I think that this is the most Wes Anderson yeah. movie. Just the, compared to like how it feels they like built a whole half boat set. I just so the camera could float it's around. So it's the zaniest thing that you have ever seen in your life. And I do love it for that. Um, Seven Eye of Isle of Dogs. Um, I don't think I've seen this movie since the theaters. We since covered we it, it early days of the pod. Early days of the pod. We I, talked about I remember revisiting it and saying that it was better on the second watch. I'm I, sure I remember every coming fucking Wes Anderson movie, it. every Wes Anderson movie is better on a rewatch. Um, I just remember the sushi scene is like one of the most Perfection. visually stunning scenes ever. And number eight, I bottle rocket. Um, Drew would be ashamed or would be sad that he's not here because bottle rocket is his favorite wes anderson movie oh. which is really funny um that we both have it as bottle rocket last. stands um yeah so you know he's our guy our white <laughs> our white director that we love has he's taken his sh his chance at indian culture at japanese culture at french culture what's he gonna do next are we gonna get some, a russian film I don't know. I I would love uh, some. Would some you would you like his take tinge. on like some South American some Columbia? Let's go to space. Let's do Wes Anderson <laughs> do on the space. moon. Yeah. What's what's your take on space culture, Wes? I I I don't know. Like I know he's doing like some kind of Spanish musical right now. Is that the new one that's coming out? 
he keeps saying it's going to be a musical. Like people thought I, French Dispatch was going to be a musical and then it wasn't. You know, they're shooting I would in Spain love for him to be a I would love for him to make a musical. Actually, I think that he would. Oh, it's called he's making something called Asteroid City. Oh, shit. There we go. Oh, you know who's. You know oh, the Tom, cast of this Tom is Hanks. yeah, it's Tom Hanks, Adrian Brody's back, Margot Robbie, ScarJo, of course, Tilda Swinton, Bill Murray, Maya Mark Hawk Will, is in it, Mark Jeff Goldblum, Brian Cranston, Jeffrey Wright, Liev Schreiber, Tr- yes. Jason Schwartzman, Matt Dillon, <laughs> Tony Revolori's coming back. Oh, dear God, I can't do it with this man. How does he? How does he do this? How does he? It's so hard to get people to get actors in your movie. It's, it's like West, I have, dude. I have all of the actors. When it's Wes, Jesus people fuck. come to play, dude. All right. Well, that's the French Dispatch. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's go to. A little change of pace here with Edgar Wright's newest, The Last Night. And so, is it The Last Night or just Last Night? Last Night in Soho? Last Night in Soho. Okay. Last Night as in like it happened yesterday. Last Night. During the night. Yes. All right. So, (laughs) Edgar Wright, um, how do we feel about this guy? We we just talked Wes Anderson, who is on your director draft. Uh, Edgar Wright is on my director draft, so it's a little bit of a dual head. Yeah, we're like we are having here. a little head to head of our uh, the first time that we've ever had like a head to head of directors. And Drew just had Denis with Dune. Well, um, Drew Drew's looking a little bit hotter than anybody right now with with Dune. I think Dune is is okay. All right, all right, we'll come. <laughs> okay, okay. Is this your hot take that last night is better than Dune? Look, last night's better than Dune, guys. I <laughs> no, I, I won't get that far. But I will say Edgar Wright is also. We just talked about Wes Anderson is one of our guys. I don't know about you, Edgar Wright is a hundred percent one of my guys. He is. Everything that we said about Wes, about how you can tell it's an Edgar Wright movie when you see it, or you can tell it's a Wes Anderson movie when you see it, I feel the same exact way with Edgar Wright. Even with Last Night in Soho, which I do think is probably the least Edgar Wright movie that he's ever made, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, um, but I still, while watching it, was like, oh, no one else could make this movie. When you see the shot that's teased in the trailer where it's um, Thomas and Mackenzie is laying in bed and the blue and the white and the red are flashing and it's just red, red, red. And then the like blanket flushes over the camera and the music and it's flashing on the beat of the song. I'm like, oh no, this is fucking Edgar Wright right here. Like nobody else does plays with music and lighting and the snappiness like Edgar Wright does. We, um, we must've touched on baby driver a little bit during like the very, very beginning of this pod. Cause that's when the, when that movie came out was like when we started this podcast and I remember most, mostly the three of us being really into it and then quickly like growing a little bit more sour on it. And I think that movie still has like one of the greatest opening sequences of any movie in the 21st century. I think like, that that movie has unbelievably incredible stretches. But as a movie, especially whole, that opening sequence, yeah. like set to the beat of that song. Yeah. Everybody's moving to the beat like Edgar Wright knows exactly what he's doing and just is fully in the zone. And I think that Last Night in Soho has moments 
that are very, very similar to that. Um, I do think that now with Baby Driver and Last Night, I don't think Edgar Wright's uh, vibe is the same that it was in its earliest days in terms of like quality. But I appreciate that he's doing new shit because that's what this movie is. It is completely different than everything else he's ever Mm -hmm. done. And even though I don't like it as much, I actually I actually might like it more than Baby Driver. I 100 percent do. But I definitely don't like it as much as any of the other shit like Cornetto Trilogy and and Scott Pilgrim are like just so fucking perfect. This doesn't get there, but it's not trying to. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like it. He's doing things in this movie that he's never done before playing in in genres and and flavors that he's never tried to and there is so much to love there because man this movie just takes you on a ride and there's moments that i think are kind of (laughs) rough there is some stuff that happens in this movie we're gonna get to there's gonna be a spoiler section that i was just like this i am not I am straight up not having a good time (laughs) right now, (laughs) but there's other moments that are incredible Mm. that I don't know, man, like these two women, Mackenzie and and Taylor joy, like they're fucking talented. Yeah. They're the best. Like they own this movie. They both deliver incredible performances and I don't know if we have movie stars anymore, man, but this is pretty fucking close. <laughs> yeah. I well, Thomas and McKenzie hasn't, she hasn't become a movie star yet. Anya Taylor joy is like a hundred percent there. Anya Taylor joy. Like I just, I think that she is a absolute stone cold movie star at this point. She, she has everything. Be. Like, I think that a lot of this might be because of not a movie, but because of the Queen's Gambit that she that made her like a mega superstar because that was like the most watched show in Netflix history. Um, But yeah, no, I I think that we're feeling similarly about last night. So which I didn't know how you were going to come down this because I know a lot of people have come down very dragged. It's getting kind of dragged. Yeah. And here's the thing is that I feel like I'm watching this with Edgar Wright tinted glasses and that might be at a detriment to uh, me giving a full objective opinion on something. But I know that there's parts of this movie that just don't work. I know that the ending is like kind of bad. It's it's I, pretty rough. I know that it's <laughs> pretty f- like the last because I don't even think like the lead up to it. I like some ideas in the ending. I like some things that work out, but I think the execution of like the last 15 minutes is like might be like kind of bad. There's there's some but, stuff that's like it almost has like that malignant energy. Yeah, where you're just oh. like, I think it almost did want to do a malignant where you just have to be like, all right, I bought in. <laughs> what are we doing? Like that whole idea of like, it can't be bad because it's so in its own world. Yes. And that's, I think that he tries to get there. I think it doesn't go weird enough earlier on. And I right. think that there's a twist that happens and I think that happens too late. I think that have happened at the two third mark. And then you had a whole third act of the movie to reckon with this whole idea. Then I think it might have 
been well, I'm, I'm curious what better. you mean. So we better get um, to spoilers quick. No, but I mean non-spoiler there's thoughts. A couple, there's a couple. There's a few twists. twists. There's a few <laughs> twists, but there's one like big twist that I think happens a little bit too late in the movie. Um, but that being said, I still like kind of love this movie, and like. I keep like wrestling with my own inner thoughts because like I just I only know people who like really, really like drag this movie and like actively hated this didn't, movie. Didn't Colin give it like a two like a two? Yeah, Colin hated it. Friend of the pod. Five? Harry hated it. Like everyone I know just actively did not like it. Drew, I don't think actually ended up seeing it, but he's just like, I know I'm not gonna like this movie. And Colin like gave I, it a one and a half. I just I know people who just actively hit. And the thing is, like, there's parts of it that I don't like that didn't work for me. But I think that the pros, like, far, far outweigh the cons in this sense. Like, I don't I don't really get how you can watch, like, so much of this movie and it just not work for you. Like, I just think that the craft is, like... Yeah unfucking deniable in it's, so much of this movie. There's certain stretches where you can be like, okay, I didn't like that there's like the very obvious, like almost like the stupidly like obvious, like this is a mean uh, roommate that we have here that dude, Thomas and McKenzie is coming in. With. That was the like, worst shit I've ever seen. Here's the thing. I just like was like, okay, like cool. He's doing a take on like, he's doing a take on like 80s horror movies is what he's just trying to do. And it doesn't really end up being a scary movie. It's not really a like horror movie. It's not really a Jallo movie. It's not really an Edgar Wright movie. It's kind of like pieces of all these different ideas that he has like floating around his head. And I've listened to a couple interviews that he's given on podcasts, and it kind of sounds like this is something that's just kind of been rolling around in the back of his head for like a long, long time. It's a like blank check. He's well, he had this. I mean, this really is a blank check post baby driver <laughs> like baby driver if that wasn't a blank check in itself then here you go um but he's had this idea floating around since like the scott pilgrim days like that he's just been kind of trying to work through how to get this done try to find another writer he did say he wrote the script in six weeks well he had help there's he had a help. creditor yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a credited co-writer um the woman who did 1917 um, um uh christy wilson canes or carnes um yes no but and they said they like wrote together and everything but the fact that he says they were in six weeks like i just i almost wish that this and he might have had this idea for a while and it seems like a movie with so many ideas oh yeah we'll get to and yeah. i just i wish the script would have just been like just had like one or two passovers like Same. sometimes it's not Sometimes you want somebody to at least have a pass at something before and you it gets you want to organize out. your your thoughts a little bit more because yeah. I I think that there's like, like two movies in this movie I think that there's some some convoluted approaches to what he's trying to get across because on on one hand you have a story about nostalgia and mm-hmm. about a woman who wants to live in a time. way before her own Mm -hmm. and is so enamored with it that she brings herself to actually actualize that dream and on the other hand you have a more dark supernatural evil plot line um that i don't want to spoil yet because we're not in spoilers yet but 
there is a path from one to the other and it's not the best laid. Well, I so it sounds that so that specific thing doesn't bother me as much because I found like the main theme between the um nostalgia and the supernatural I found like the overt theme between the two stories to me it was kind of this loss of innocence like For that's sure. what you're seeing in yeah. both the um Thomason and the Anya storyline you're seeing both of them just this complete moving to the big city and a complete loss of innocence and the way that song choices and stuff like that are utilized to like kind of reflect that falling happening in real time is just really well done but the the, the visuals I, are amazing yeah again it's the craft is fucking perfect it feels like an Edgar Wright movie but yeah, I, I do. I have just so many spoiler filled thoughts that I want to see. I will say I still really enjoy this movie. I thought this was a really good theatrical experience. Like my theater was really into this movie, Mine which was is empty. Oh, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, it's there not was, doing well. <laughs> no, no, that's kind of a bummer. Um, I uh, <laughs> I saw this movie on like a Saturday night and uh, there was just like it was in one of the smaller theaters at like our local uh um, our local movie theater and like there was just this dude in front of me who was just like pumping his fist like he was like yes yes this is cinema like he was just so into it there was like one person who's like a gave like a little clap as the as the credits rolled and i was like all right hell yeah all right i'm glad that people like this movie yeah it's um it's got a grand total of nine million dollars right now. That's rough. What's the budget on this movie? Um, I'm not sure. You know, that's kind of the funny thing about Edgar Wright is he's like one of those guys who kind of keeps getting blank checks, but his movies don't really turn a profit. Baby Driver is his only like real blockbuster success of a movie. Scott Pilgrim is like a notorious huge bomb. Budget for this was 43. Oh my God. It's at nine. It's at nine. Holy shit. Okay. 16 worldwide, but Edgar, you might have to crawl back to Marvel to get another check, buddy. <laughs> I hope he didn't self-finance this one like Baby Driver. It's sad though because it's like kind of like I, what I was saying about uh, Wes Anderson is like, isn't this what you want? Isn't this what we're asking for as like movie fans? Like, what's that's the, the thing? I won't give the, like this movie is so much more to me than fucking Halloween Kills. Like, are you kidding me? I would take a thousand of these movies. It's before so I would take flawed that. though. Like, that's the problem. That's that's. Go go back to the the ketchup episode and listen to my my thoughts on Eternals. Like that's the problem, is like this binary thinking of where something has to be either dog shit or a masterpiece. Like no, we need to embrace two things being true at the mm-hmm. same time when we're talking about movies. Yeah. And Last Night in Soho is a movie that has some very complicated uh, ideas that it wants to get across. And it does them very, very clumsy. It is so clunky. So much of it just falls completely flat on its face. But that doesn't take away from the craft and the artistry and so much of it that is like genuinely like artistic. It is just it is just so well done. 
like both things can be true at the same time. It just pains me that like people will write off a movie completely because like it has this. It has pitfalls. It yeah. genuinely does have pitfalls. It's just kind of funny because uh, we're literally doing a podcast right now where like the whole thing is like if you want to like, like you have to be like this movie is perfect or this movie is dog shit and we have to argue with each other right now. Like that's the whole thing with podcasting is that we should be you should say that you hated this movie and this is why and all the reasons. But no, you're 100 percent right. I love so many fucking things about this movie. And yes, I understand this movie is very, very, very far from perfect. There's things that are actively kind of bad in this movie, but, but I still like just kind of love that he was swinging for the fences as much as he was. And I, you know what? I'll just, I'm still going to watch this movie. I'm going to watch this movie a few times. I've seen every Edgar Wright movie multiple times at this point. Like, I'm going to see this movie several times and I'm sure I'm probably going to like it a little bit more with every rewatch. I like every Edgar Wright movie with more with rewatches. Baby Driver was a movie that like didn't really like as time passed because it came out and then all the Kevin Spacey news came out and then we were like, is this really that good? And then we can't, it's a movie that doesn't sit well on your brain. Also because Ansel Elgort is like actively a not very good actor not a good person and not a very good person shout out to west side story and our boy steven coming out soon oh boy i can't believe ansel Elgort's gonna sing in that movie jesus christ god help us um but it's you know again we were talking about it on the ketchup episode uh but baby driver is a movie that's on fx like a few times a week and it is a movie that whenever it's on, I like turn on. And if there's like that middle bank chase sequence or that opening scene that we were talking about, if that's on, I'm like, I'll, yeah. I'll tune in for the next 15 minutes. Like, I'll, I'll watch this. This is like the best. I'll just watch Edgar Wright do his fucking thing. I kind of wish that I want him. I want him and Simon Pegg to get back together. <laughs> I just yeah. well, I, he's off in Mission Impossible Land right now. So yeah, well, I want him to. I think I want him to go back to comedies a little bit. He's trying to kind of move away from the comedic space after the Cornetto trilogy and Scott Pilgrim, and yeah, but but <sighs> it's hard because I don't want him to I like, like revert him, back. I like him changing. Yeah, I like him trying new shit. I appreciate that so much. Before we get too far from. Uh, box office land though I did want to mention real quick um, French Dispatch has 23 mil uh, total right now with a budget of 25 so yeah bring in marketing I mean that's still not going to make its budget back uh, just by box comparison office, but- like they're both incredibly visually stunning movies but mm-hmm. Wes just gets so much bang for your buck like for some reason Edgar Wright, I, I don't know if like Matt is Matt Smith like demanding 15 mil? <laughs> like what's going on? Do you oh you're talking about from an acting perspective? No, I'm just like saying like in- where is what's where's the money going? Because well, like when you look West at French is, Dispatch. So that's the thing about Wes Anderson that doesn't make sense that he just gets Francis McDormand to sign up for like fucking pennies on the dollar. <laughs> like that's the thing that Wes Anderson can do that literally no one else can like no one else can do fucking Timothy Chalamet. How much more money do you think he made from Dune than uh, from French Dispatch? 
I know he's only in a yeah, third like of 20, the money. At but, 20 times. Like, yes, exactly. Yeah. No, like for maybe like 15 a, times. Like, 10 more days of shooting maybe like not even that like Wes Anderson just gets people to sign up for fucking nothing because they just want to be on the set I think this a lot of it is I mean a lot of it with any Edgar Wright movie goes out the licensing because he does the thing where he writes the songs that he wants to have in his movies before he ever actually writes like films anything that's why everything is so well choreographed. That's not done just in editing. That's done all beforehand. Planning the the opening scene is is wonderful with her dancing to that song. What is uh, that the song? opening scene is so good. The a world without love. The downtown sequence is yeah. so beautiful. Which when she sings a cappella. Yes, it's yeah. so good. It really points out. It's um, a movie star moment. Yes, it's a movie star moment. It's one of those things where. And Edgar Wright specifically pointed out, but I thought about while I was saying in the theater that I never really thought about it before. But, you know, you hear the song downtown, things will be great when you're and like you just sounds like such a happy song on the surface. But seeing hearing it sung acapella, there's like this real like melancholy to it. Like there's like a real kind of like a yearning, a desire for like, I just want to be in this place like it'll be this perfection if i just get over this fence and get downtown like yeah. kind of that whole idea and you don't really realize the sadness that's in that song until you hear it sung a cappella. and there's just there's so many moments like that in this movie they're just like oh there's like a genius like there's a true like genius behind the helm of the camera and that's why i don't think that like any movie made by Edgar Wright or by any filmmaker who I consider a genius will ever be like actively bad. Like I would never say that an Edgar Wright movie is dog shit because I think that he's incapable of making dog shit. Even, dog I, shit means that you have no ideas in your movie. I watched his uh, documentary, The Sparks Brothers. Yes. You talked about it. I, I watched it on a plane. Perfect plane movie. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> even that one, which I mean, I wouldn't count it. It feels like an Edgar Wright movie. I wouldn't count it in, in his canon because it's not like oh I would a narrative movie <laughs> but even that movie's like it's great it's fucking really well done here's uh, the thing that documentary made me a fan of Sparks I've been listening to I have Sparks on the rotation now me like too. I, I love some Sparks now and I'd never would have before I listened to this I watched this fucking documentary but just and that's the thing again his just like his interest just kind of like peek out in everything that he does and i kind of love that he's just like i just want to make a documentary about this band that meant a lot to me again a band that their biggest hit came out whenever he was like six i don't know like he was born in the 70s and like he wasn't alive for the sparks's biggest thing so that whole nostalgia idea and then another movie about nostalgia coming out the same year I'm trying to look up what he's doing next and the only thing I'm seeing is a running man remake that's not going to happen. There's no way that's going to happen. I don't see anything else. Is there anybody attached to it aside from him? Um, No, I don't think so. It's just What's Edgar Wright is making running man remake. I mean, you, you know, how these things are like, yeah, it's, it's probably just going to be nothing. Um, I, I did want to uh, just share a couple other thoughts before we get into, um, into spoilers i just want to say that like you know this this movie it it has really kind of transfixing uh visuals i i I just want to harp on this for a little bit keep i keep teasing it but like this is my biggest takeaway from this movie is like 
just the way that like Thomas and McKenzie and, and Anya Taylor-Joy kind of like brought into the same space, but by being divided by time where like Thomason is from our timeline, looking back on Anya Taylor-Joy's like kind of 60s timeline, the way that's realized it just like, I've never seen it done exactly like it's done in this movie. You can tell that they did a lot of practical effects and like mm-hmm. the both actresses were probably on set at the same time and they must have built. I don't know how sets. they did like the mirror scenes and stuff like that. Like that's it's just gotta like, be sets that are built specifically to make it look so like it's cool, a mirror. Man, it's so cool. Yeah. It, all of that was so, so impressive. Like I, if anything else, walk away from this movie with just marveling at those sequences mm-hmm. of when she travels back in time to observe, uh, I keep I keep saying the actress's name, but it's it's um it's Sadie, I mm-hmm. believe, is the the actress's name or the the character's name. Eloise uh, Sandy. Sandy, not Sadie. Yeah. Um to to see Sandy's life. Like that first scene when she first goes back to see the first moment, it is so magical. And and the movie keeps that energy for such a stretch. And and you feel that grandeur of like what it must be like to close your eyes, go to sleep and travel to this land that like you're dreaming about in your head, because mm-hmm. that's what Eloise is dreaming about. She's dreaming about the 60s and now she's there. The thing that this movie does, though, is that it shows you this other side, this darker side. And we have to talk about that in spoilers. Yeah. 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 Transition that so, right spoilers. Go see it in theaters, support this movie. It's not perfect, but it is an original uh story. And I still and really, really enjoyed it, man. I still like I despite the flaws that we're gonna dive more it's into in spoilers. Worth giving it your money. Yes, yeah. No, it's 100%. not gonna be in theaters much longer. Yeah, uh sure. you know, French dispatch will probably stay a little longer just because people fucking love Wes Anderson. This one, I think, is going to fall off. Not a great year for movies that start with the word last. <laughs> last but duel. Last duel. Yeah. Are there any other examples? Do you have any others? Um, uh, <laughs> is it just those two? Uh, so last Spider-Man Way Home. Yeah, there we go. Um, so did you ever see The Last Duel? I don't no, know. I can't, dude, I can't I actually speak to. to its content. I want to. <laughs> I wanted to see it, and then it just got fucking. It was just like, yeah. oh, you want to see it? See it at three p.m. on a Thursday. It's a it's a twelve um, p.m. now. It's a noon showing. Now. Yeah, I guess what I have a job. I guess I'm just never gonna yeah. see the fucking last. I gotta go to Arrakis a third time. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> All right, so spoilers for Last Night and So starting right now. part of this movie the thing that this movie is literally the plot of this movie Mm -hmm. that was not revealed in any of the trailers is that surprise surprise matt smith is a fucking shithead yeah look at that dude you see that chin you walk away from that he is a full-on like abuser pimp yeah he's a pimp and and this movie is actually about abuse and it's about uh how women in the 60s 
it was just perfectly socially acceptable to just look at them as property essentially yeah and 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 abuse them and and rape them and this is what this movie is about it is about sexual assault it's about rape it's about um men being disgusting animalistic monsters yes is what this movie is about and um that seems to be the thing that most people are hating on this movie for. And I think that movie, I think that that part is incredible. I think that all of this like worked for me so well that I love that we're not just going to glorify the sixties as this, like we aren't just going to view nostalgia as like, Oh, nostalgia is so great. Like God, things are so much better back then. Like, no, guess what? For the most part, you aren't just going to become fucking Tina Turner getting up there on stage. You know what, for the most part, it was like, is that if you're just like, oh, I'll just do anything to get up here on stage. Dudes back then and even still still now are like, oh, you'll do anything to get up on that stage. And you get used and abused and sold around. Disgusting. And it's fucking awful. And that's the thing with this movie is that like there are so many scenes as this was being teased because it's teased before it's even revealed. Mm-hmm. very very early it's teased, on the first time you ever see matt smith you're thinking like oh look at him he's just so fun he knows all the he knows like ah, oh, he knows the people who are performing everything it's like oh no he's just like a pimp like the fucking bartender is just like sending him sending her over to a fucking pimp the first time that and even she ever goes into the club. even before you meet anya taylor joy like every the the cab driver the, yeah, the fucking cab driver that drives Eloise to her room like you're primed for this. And yeah. it's so obvious. And obviously, like the movie knows that it's obvious, like it's not hiding it, but it's so seated that like you get this idea of like Eloise not having a single positive interaction with a man at all. Except our one guy, um, what's her what's her guy's name? Oh, her, the guy who's just wholesome, good. Um, who is uh, Michael Ajile? Yeah, I'd never seen this guy before on the poster. Um, it's it's tough because the movie wants to trick you into doubting him. And 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 it's setting you up to like make him be Holy shit, do you know who this guy is? Who? He plays the little kid in Attack the Block Mayhem. Okay. That makes sense. Oh my god. Yeah, Yo, I Edgar, love it. Edgar Wright had Yo, a, a two hand little in that. London just London boy coming out here. <laughs> but um but yeah, like you're seated to believe this idea of like men are horrible, men are monsters, they prey on women. Mm-hmm. And it's tough to get to a place where you feel invested in the movie without having this like nagging feeling in the back of your head because you're seated with it so early on that every interaction that she has is a negative interaction. Yeah, you're expecting the worst. Yeah. Even even the women, even the 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 girls that she interacts with, they're written to be the worst possible yeah. people. And for those reasons, like there's so many beats in the opening, like 15, 20 minutes of the movie that are just like, it's so tough to get into because it's just like, Oh my God, I feel the setup. It's so obvious. 
I just feel every moment of it. But again, like I just said, I feel like the movie knows it's being obvious. This mm-hmm. whole movie yeah. knows it's yeah, obvious. It's not trying to like, it's telegraphing things, but it's purposeful telegraphing yeah. it to you. But at the same time, it's like every time I see this fucking bully fashion school bully over here, <laughs> I'm like, kill me. This is fucking garbage. Meryl Streep in the works over here. Devil Wears Prada. It's, it's so, uh, it's bad. I'm sorry. This character, this is, it's, she's not good. It's so bad. Are you talking about the bully character? Yeah. It's a fucking John Hughes character. Like it's 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 just like literally written to be like a high school bully type character. But then I didn't really care. It's not like she has like anything to do with the plot of this movie. I'm I'm just saying every time way. every time she was on screen, I was like, kill me. Event- I think the actress is kind of not very good. <laughs> I think it's more I think it's more of the acting that is the writing because i don't really care like whatever this is like a fucking nothing role like just i don't i don't care just this is a plot device of a character well eventually you do get to that moment where she does travel back in time mm-hmm. and that is a magical moment Ugh. and you believe that she is through the looking glass that like all these shitty people she met in the opening minutes of the movie are behind us and now it's all going to be great. But very quickly we see that's not the case. And this is when the movie like really finds its stride. Like I, I thought the opening chunk was like, okay. Like there were some moments where I was like, okay, this is pretty good. Overall. I was like, eh, I don't know about this. Once we get into Anya Taylor joy into uh, Sandy, my God, this movie comes to life. Like, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Even that that moment where like it kind of it maybe I'm remembering the wrong moment. There's a scene where like the camera is like under the sheets and it's like they they maybe they CGI'd it, but it looks like they built this like giant Yeah, room, the giant yeah, yeah, yeah. This no, giant set with like a giant sheet. And the camera is like under the sheets with LOD. No, that's that's the first time that she ever goes into the mind that's of Sandy. Magical. It's because the, she's right outside the French dis, the French bistro, the so French dispatch, the French dispatch, <laughs> right outside the French bistro, and like the the blue, white, and red lights for France uh, for the for the bistro, and it's just flashing blue, white, red, blue, white, red, and suddenly it's red, red. Red. <laughs> and just and then that's when the sheet comes across. It's it's so good. It's the best thing. When I saw that, I was like, oh hell yeah, Edgar Wright, here we go. Yeah. Here we fucking that's go. The thing. Again, once again, I was like, this is an Edgar Wright movie. This still it feels like the least Edgar Wrighty of his movies, but there are still those moments. So so then we get into this chunk where like essentially the the veneer is lifted like the 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 veil comes off and we're jumping back and forth you know that we're developing the love can, story a little bit can i just say i will say and i think that i would have liked this a little bit better and i think this is something that might have happened if there was maybe somebody else took a fresh look at this is instead of flashing from the present time where people are openly mean to Eloise to the past where people are openly mean to Sandy, what if we had people being like very like subtly mean 
to Eloise in the like. Well, more that's what you were saying day, about the 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 pass on the script. You know, it's, I, I just think like that's something that like I feel like a fresh set of eyes would have just been like, hey, it's kind of redundant to have two people be openly mean to these characters. Let's have it be. Let's modernize this a little bit. What if the bully isn't like actively just like, oh, you brought your own clothes here while they're like doing coke in the your bathroom mom stall? Killed herself. I will say. The bathroom stall scene was pretty bad. Dude, but I, I wanted to <laughs> die. <laughs> dude, that's uh, the thing. So who cares? Your mom fucking killed herself. Dude, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. So here's the thing. Edgar Wright has made several movies. I think this is his seventh movie. Mm-hmm. And he has shown us throughout his career that he is an expert that he is a precise technical master. Like fucking watch Shaun of the Dead, Hot mm-hmm. Fuzz, Scott Pilgrim. Like yeah, the guy end. the I guy can fucking yeah. do the thing. And then to get a scene like that, it's like, buddy, what happened? What the fuck happened? I think no, I really this think This is he, amateur shit. I think that he really was trying to do like a tongue-in-cheek John Hughes thing. Like I think that like that's what I really think he was trying to go it for. It doesn't like, land. I'm going to do I agree with you. I agree with you that it doesn't land, but I think that that's it's so obvious that I feel like he's trying to satirize it. The problem is and I don't know, it's probably partially the writing, it's partially the performances, but it doesn't co- come off as satire. It just comes off as bad writing. Awful. Yeah. Awful. It, it Also awful. I, I don't want to jump ahead, but I just got to mention now the end, the, the, the revelation <sighs> that Terrence Stamp is actually not Matt Smith, which is crazy because like the whole movie is like telegraphing that reveal. There's even a moment where she bumps into Matt Smith and then we see Terrence Stamp when she's freaking out. And it's like, oh, there it is. There's the reveal. They're the same guy. And then actually they're not. And Terrence Smith, actually the FBI agent. And then actually, he gets, very, very he cool gets hit agent. by a car. The creepiest fucking old FBI agent you've ever seen in your entire life. Dude, Terrence that Sam. scene at the bar where he's like, I had to keep those girls in line. That's what I had to do back then. I was the guy who had to keep them in line because they were girls. I was like, this this is the worst shit I've ever seen. <laughs> This is this is hot garbage. So what? So your problem with this movie is when they start talking, huh? Oh yeah, that's your problem, Ernest. Come on, just shut up and just look at it, okay? <laughs> and then he goes out and he dies in the street. <laughs> See, so that was okay. So, so bad. yes, so the story, yes, the actual reveal that he isn't Matt Smith, that's fine for me. That I don't really care about. So, what I was talking about, the reveal that needed to come sooner, was the old lady actually being alive and being on the table. Well, you Joy. knew you knew that something was up with that old lady. Yes, I knew something was up. That reveal should have come at like the two thirds mark of the movie. They cram 
a lot. It's too much shit. Honestly, because I can overlook a lot of things in this movie. Like a lot of it. I'm just like, I understand. And maybe again, it's me with Edgar Wright glasses. And it's me just thinking Edgar Wright is too smart to actually write like this. Like he knows better than this. It's very obvious that he's trying to do a wink. He's trying so much to do a giallo kind of old 70s, 80s style horror. That he's trying to make these caricatures and not like real human beings. Yeah. That's what he's trying to go for. Even if it doesn't work, I can tell that's what he's trying to go for. But the actresses don't, are good at playing human beings. Yeah, that's the. I feel like that's the problem is that maybe we needed more wooden roles from the actual actors. But it, it, I that's, mean, I mean, I get what you're saying about Terrence Stamp and Matt Smith for sure. But the people at the core of this movie are full human beings, are they not? No. Well, I think that. <sighs> The I feel women. like Thomas and McKenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy could have just been like the only two genuine characters and everybody else could have just been a caricature. And I would have been okay with that. I think that's maybe what he tried. I think that is do. I think that is what he was trying to do. I think that just didn't work enough. And maybe that just wasn't a good communication to the actors. Maybe that, again, maybe that's just bad act. Maybe that's bad writing. I'm just giving it too much credit. My problem with this movie was in more than anything, I think at the last 15 to 20 minutes of this movie is like actively really bad. And I think it kind of leaves a really bad yeah. taste in your mouth. And I think one, that that's one thing, I, especially something that a lot of audiences have with this is that it's tough when you have a movie that relies on like one or two big twists. And not only do the big twists don't land, but it leads to like a fucking <laughs> mess of an ending, well, which is thing, what happens. Here. One thing I didn't, I did like though, was the fuckers blasting out of the wall. I, I know you love when fuckers, <laughs> just blast out of the wall and bust a big old cum <laughs> shot. Um, that so was I, amazing. I, <laughs> I don't want that, anybody to have a bad day at their job. I don't want this to be the worst day at Amos job. I just want to know if any of these fuckers <laughs> they did though. They, they did, did they blast, did. They out, blast out, of the out of the wall. We got an answer. <laughs> We got an answer. Dude, um, when the hands started coming out of the, yeah, of did, the, of did the you, floor. Did you like poke somebody and you're just like, these fuckers blast out of the wall? When the hands start coming out of the floor, I was like, this is the best movie ever made. <laughs> this, this the, hand, the hand are coming out of the wood board. <laughs> when, when, when they're in just fire, when the stairs just turn into fire. And she's like singing as she's like stabbing. Did you ever think would it have been better? Would this movie have been better for you if Thomas McKenzie said to uh, her boyfriend, "Evil dies tonight"? (laughs) Well, evil evil dies tonight. Evil dies like approximately fifty years ago. Yeah. Okay. Evil dies fifty years ago. Um, No. So I I am. I am a hundred percent serious though that all of that shit when it's balls to the wall that's what i'm talking about malignant energy that like the fuckers are blasting out of the walls <laughs> serious 100 serious and she's stabbing as she's singing she's fucking singing dude no that rocks that kicks and it's ass. fire all around her <laughs> that kicks ass there's no house like you don't see the house they're just like in a black hole no, of well, fire that's the point at that point at the point that you're talking about the movie becomes like not in reality <laughs> at all like it's, it's just amazing. like it's like hey let's just forget the plot that 
like you don't remember what's happening here neither do we um no so the thing is like i also you want those two actresses together you're leading the whole movie is leading to them like actually interacting with each other yes or the two characters you mean no the actors specifically but but they don't there's never a point in the movie where they actually like talk to each other until the very end. Yes. Yeah. Like actually like look and interact. And like, there's moments where like they come close. Like there's one where she like kind of holds her for like a second. Mm -hmm. There's like a couple glances that they have at each other, but it's not until the very end where they're just like like, a moment. And it's not even a long moment, but it's just a moment. No. So, cause the thing is going back to the overarching plot of this movie, I really love this whole idea of a loss of innocence and the exploitation of women. I think that that stuff actually was handled pretty damn well. I also like the flipping of the narrative where it's uh, Sandy taking agency for herself and taking all these creepy fucking dudes and like, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to seduce you and then I'm going to slice your fucking throat. I love that. That kicks ass. That's promising young woman shit that we love to see, but like going to the next level. I like that. I really like that idea. Store the bodies in the walls? Could have thought about that better. Well, again, that's something. Are that's, there are there rotting corpses in this house? Yeah, no, the black mold in this house is insane. <laughs> are um, there like the 55 stench. rotten bodies? <laughs> These fuckers are blasting out the wall, dude. What can I say? No, like I, I still like. I, I'm not worried about the fucking semantics. I, this is like again, this woman sleeps and she trips her body into the sixties. I'm not worried about fucking reality right now. But I like that should have come earlier on the movie. You can't throw that at me. That the like really like creepy face morphing fuckers that are blasting out of the wall and following (laughs) Thomas and McKenzie all around town that those are actually good guys who they were actually murdered and they're victims here. You can't throw that at me when there's like seven and a half minutes left in the movie. I that's that's where I draw the line is because I like the idea of there not being like there being levels of evil in this world. And like kind of justice and a kind of twisted sense of justice. I like these ideas. You can't throw that at me at the very end and then not give any time to like actually propose this new idea and not explain it or giving a justification for it. it, It's like you um, you order um, like a Dr. Pepper um, and then somebody hands you an unsweet tea (laughs) without telling you. And then you'd like sip it thinking you're about to taste the Dr. Pepper and it's actually an unsweet tea. And you're like, oh, well, if I had known, <laughs> maybe I would have reacted to this a little bit differently. But now it's like the worst possible thing I could be putting <laughs> like in my body. Right you're now. Like I've never had something so tart in my entire life now because of this, because of what my expectations were. <laughs> but then but then it's like, oh, no, here's a Dr. Pepper. Never mind. <laughs> It's like the movie like so quickly is like, no, no, no. Just forget what just happened like five seconds ago. You know, it's kind of funny that he like returned home to England to make this movie after just making Baby Driver, which is an American film, because this feels like the most American movie that he's ever made. Do you know what I mean? Like, it feels like he was trying to be like, I'm going to make I'm going to make a an American horror film. 
Like that's what he's like trying to go for is like, oh, well, I can have these. I'm telling you, man, this is a this is a a reaction to working with (laughs) K-Space. Yeah, do you think so? This is the backlash. (laughs) The the ending of it is just like, yeah, you know, K-Space, maybe he had some chance. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) No, that's that's Ansel Elgort coming coming in. She's like, fuck it. I can't. Give us a chance. I don't know. Now you're making me like doubt my love for this movie. The more that because I'm making myself doubt the love for this movie. I still love ideas of this movie. There's still so much in this movie that unpack. So I really enjoy. This is the movie. Every year I have one of these movies on my list where it's the worst movie. That's the highest up on my list. Yeah, this is going to be this movie. Oh, no, 100 percent. I'm going to have I'm going to give this movie like three stars and it's going to be like in my top 25. Movies exactly. Of the year. <laughs> like it's, exactly. It's going to be higher than movies I give four stars to. That's the but thing. I just I, I just admire so much about this movie, even if I think it's kind of a mess. And this movie is kind of a mess, but it's like a beautiful mess. Ex- exactly, dude. Like, there's so much to love about it. Like, I can't gush enough about these two actresses. Like, they're yeah, so talented. They're so fucking good, man. I, I think that... You know, I will say, Matt Smith kind of good at playing his little skis ball. He barely gets anything to do in this movie, but I think... That chin. Yeah. Just, that chin lives in my dreams and my there, nightmares. There's some really... There's one really good scene when they dance and you feel the fireworks, you feel the romance. And then after that, he turns into like a full on like evil villain and he sells it all great. Terrence Stamp, I think that <sighs> Terrence Stamp is like doing a little bit too much. And I love Terrence Stamp. Love that man. I love that man. That- I love when he just comes like coming, <laughs> like almost dancing with his cane. up. <laughs> That's no, the thing, man. It's like it's tough to pin this movie down because it's like you get these really terrible scenes at the end that just like make you do these double takes of like, what the fuck am I watching right now? But then just thinking back to that kind of middle stretch where you're just kind of in the thick of it and you don't know what's going to happen. It's glorious. Mm-hmm. That middle chunk of the movie is glorious. And like it, it, Thomas and McKenzie, like. A lot of her performance ends up being like these really kind of wide eyed, scared, frightened, way in over her head kind of looks. But they're fucking great. They work. She sells it. It's really, really captivating. There's entire repeating beats where, where all she does is just make that face. Yeah. And especially when she has that black like crazy uh it's i guess it's like a halloween costume yeah that they yeah, have. yeah like smeared um eyeshadow that just like she just rocks for like Love it. the next like day and a half just never like stopped in the bathroom to wipe those off or anything like get some makeup wipes on your way home it looks or, fucking no, cool just <laughs> i did think her boy was gonna get fucking killed for a second there you know i really like that he ended up not being like also a dick bag like it kind of there is like they little, made you think for there's a little pieces of hope in this in this universe i mean the movie sets you up like from yeah. the beginning to be like, like every, i'm expecting the worst from everybody everybody yeah. everybody maybe ask that guy what he thinks of the 60s yeah <laughs> maybe check in with him and be like hey i really want to go live in the 60s yeah i <sighs> I don't know. I just want his movies. Even Baby Driver, I feel like, had a little bit more humor. And I just, 
the thing is, I don't want to tell Edgar Wright what to do next, because, again, I'm going to see whatever he has to put out here. But, you know, I just I don't want him to, like, have to try and like, I don't want him to feel like he has to, like, replay the old hits or anything like that. But I hope not. I, I just mean, want I, I honestly I just want to see what he has next. More than anything, I don't want to tell him what to do. Just he made a fucking like heist uh, car chase movie and then immediately was just like, I'm going to make an 80s Jallo inspired film about North London in the 60s and present day. So, like, I don't know what this dude's going to do next. Whatever he's feeling. Exactly. Exactly. If if anything else, just know that this didn't fully work, but you're kind you're pretty much on the right path. Yeah. Like keep exploring this new era because one way or another, you're going to end up somewhere cool because at least this is interesting. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not like masterful, it's, it's interesting. It's new and, and it feels fresh. And I love the shit out about, about that real quick though. uh, I want us to do just like we did with Wes power ranking. So Number one for Wes Anderson, or sorry, for Edgar. Edgar, here's my here's my letterbox list. Oh, Edgar no. ranked. Ranked with a W. I, I figured that. That was yeah, good, <laughs> good job by you. Shaun of the Dead, number one. Um oh, fucking okay. love that movie. Uh then two Scott Pilgrim, three Hot Fuzz, four World's End, five Soho, last night in Soho, then Baby Driver, then Sparks. Okay. All right, we have similar lists. Uh, number one is Scott Pilgrim for me. Um, that's kind of like the perfect inflection point for Edgar Wright. Um, also, just unbelievable blooper reel. If you just have the Blu-ray or the 4K, it's it's so fucking good. I, I just so rewatched this movie. It's, it's so good. It's goddamn is this movie fucking perfect. Uh, two Shaun of the Dead, three Hot Fuzz, uh, four World's End, Cornetto trilogy. Kind of all like blurs together in like the best possible way i've only seen world's end i think once um really need to rewatch that one but i mean hot fuzz and shot the dead are masterpieces five have actually put sparks brothers um, over soho yeah uh sparks brother well just because i if i'm viewing it more like of an objective list if i'm putting what i'm gonna throw on that i might not have this there but i have sparks brothers higher on my list on my year-end rankings than i would soho um, cause I mean, Hey, it made a, me a fan of a band and I can't really say that I've ever watched a music documentary for a band that I don't give a shit about. Right. And then I've wanted to listen to that band, but it feels like an Edgar Wright movie. Six, I do Soho or yeah. Six Soho, seven baby driver. There you go. All right. Well, that's last night in Soho and that's our Edgar Wright rankings. And that's also Wes Anderson and the friends dish pads. Thank you for listening. Thanks for sticking with us as we give you this double review. Uh, We're signing off without Drew. He's still out there in Arrakis searching for his loved one. Well, I heard that that he uh, went to sleep and like he never woke up because he's still in 60s land. He's in Uh, 60s Orlando, which is like a much like darker place. Is he like one of the random guys that gets murdered by... And you Taylor Joy. <laughs> yeah. He was just like thought he was like going out on like a really cool like Tinder date and was yeah. just like, oh man, things are going Slice really well. And me. Then, no, not so much. Um, evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. <laughs>
Uh, thanks for listening. Email us at webottomike at gmail.com. Follow us on all the social medias at webottomike, including TikTok. We're on TikTok now. Hell yeah. Uh, check us out on there. Also, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave us a review. Also, you can uh, donate and send voicemails at anchor.fm slash mic. Stick around for next week. Uh, in the meantime, you can uh, check out webottomike.net for some uh, end of your content. Stick around for that. I think next week is back to Robin Williams mm. is what we got going on for you. Obviously, there's some new stuff coming out like new PTA and um, all sorts of beautiful year end best of type of stuff. I mean, this is when the good shit starts yeah. coming out. Fellas. I, the licorice pizza reviews just started coming out. I looked on Letterboxd earlier today and. Things are looking good. Tick, Things tick, are looking boom. good, boy. Okay. <laughs> I uh, have heard good things. Matrix okay. 4, Spider-Man, Encanto, uh, Power of the Dog. I, yep. I, I, I'm not guaranteeing full-on episodes for any of these, but uh, I will guarantee the Robin Williams series to continue because we have some great great things lined up for that one and that one's going to extend into uh 2022 so definitely stick around for that in the meantime you can uh send us all your love and all your festivities as we get into the final stretch of 2021 thanks for listening we love you bye bye bye